Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Come off the hour, come off the Aussie goal machine. Sam Kerr rescues Chelsea against Arsenal as the Gunners drop points against title rivals again. And what's coming over the hill? It's Manchester United as they move into second. Yes, I'm smiling. Elsewhere, Leicester battle Brighton and Aston Villa's new look midfield is already purring. And in part three, we're going to shine a light on endometriosis, after Leah Williamson started the conversation in December, we want to explore just how it impacts a footballer's career. And to help us with that, we are joined by the incredible and former teammate, absolute footballing legend, Scottish dreamboat, it is Lee Nicholl. Welcome, wow. Lee. What an intro. That was beautiful. Wasn't it? Yeah, Welcome. That was nice from you. You look confused that I've been so lovely about that. I just don't know what's ever going to come out of your mouth when it's me and you. Yeah, but I feel like we've. I'm been... the same, actually. I find that in the in the studio. I just <laughs> don't know what's going to happen. You've got to keep keep on your toes. toes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't know what I'm going to say or how it's going to go down. Uh, what I'm going to ask, um, and therefore you never you never sort of get complacent. I suppose about it's that. fun. It keeps things uh, lively and interesting. That's for sure. Oh, brilliant. Well. 
Thanks for the feedback, guys. Really appreciate that. I'll, uh, I'll try and be warmer next time. No, no, keep it up. Keep us on our toes. <laughs> All right, lovely. Well, I'm going to jump straight in. I mean, we've got to talk about it. It is one of the first games back in 2023. Arsenal, Chelsea at the Emirates. Big North London derby. Massive crowd. Over 46,000 people in attendance for those who could get in the door. Um, and we're no clearer to knowing who will walk away with the title, really. It was a, a very evenly matched battle, perhaps. That's being very kind to Chelsea I was going to say <laughs> um, I mean Sam Kerr rescuing a point for Chelsea with a goal in the 89th minute after a surprisingly dominant Arsenal performance I think for me I was concerned about Arsenal going to this game I thought they've lost two of their big players uh, they've lost you know a big section of their attacking lineup. what's going to happen here but obviously having Blackstinius in having Marnham having Hurtig I was thinking okay well that's not a bad little fullback position either but Chelsea where were you? Yeah, I think rescuing a point is a really good way of putting it. That's mm. absolutely what Sam Kerr did. Um, I think it was Magda Eriksson, she was being interviewed afterwards and I think she said that that the point was no more than they des- like deserved, you know, um, which I think is fair. I think looking back at it, I was watching the first half through very patchy Wi-Fi reception uh, on a train up to Leicester um, and then I had to watch the second half back and how Arsenal didn't put the game to bed in the second half, I do not know. I think the reason we were nervous, obvious reasons why we were nervous about them, but just in comparison to Chelsea, they have more consistency with their front line and their team, right? So mm. they're obviously an awful lot more used to playing with each other. And I think Arsenal may be a little bit more makeshift than they would normally be due to the injuries. So it was hard to tell how it was going to play out. But I tell you what, they pegged Chelsea back. They really struggled getting from defence through the midfield. I thought the midfield for Chelsea struggled. Mm. I thought Arsenal's press was really good, better than Chelsea's press. Um, frustrating that they couldn't put their chances away. I think that was the biggest frustration. And, you know, you look at the first half, I'm not even sure Chelsea had more than a shot on target. Um, And that's something we've talked about this season is Chelsea's, they may be creating shots, but they're not getting them on target. Mm -hmm. And it's starting to be a little bit of a problem. And I think they're very lucky that Sam Kerr popped up when she did. Well, I think I've got to echo that. I mean, Arsenal were massively on the attacking foot from from the first, you know, opening five or ten minutes. I think they, they were finding... Incredible chances. I think they were also doing well to condense the middle. But defensively, I thought they were absolutely rock solid. I mean, like you were saying there, I mean, I was watching the game at home with my feet up in the warmth and comfort of my own sofa. And uh, I think Rachel Brown finished. She sort of said, oh, OK, well, it was about 74 minutes in by this point. She said, Chelsea hadn't had any shots on target. And that is the first time that's ever happened in the WSL. So for a team like Chelsea to not have any shots on target. And I think a lot of that was to do with the emergency blocking. I think uh, Leah Williamson getting in the right place at the right time. I think obviously there was a lapse of judgment there in the 89th minute from her. But I thought there were so many times where Chelsea were entering the box or trying to get their deliveries in. And I was counting eight, nine outfield players in the box, condensing those areas and making it really difficult for for Chelsea to find any clear chances. They had 17 shots and two on target. Seriously? Yeah. So that tells you, obviously down to defending, but also... You know, it's just, I guess, something Chelsea need to work on a bit more because they are very good at getting into the opposition box. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was just, it was just very far and few between. I think the only real threat that I saw from Chelsea throughout a lot of that game was Lauren James. Uh, I mean, she looked so bright, so pacey. There was a couple of good chances that she had on the right wing, but when she was going up there, it didn't feel like she really had the backing of. Well, I couldn't really see where Kerr was. That the link up between them both looked a bit sporadic, a little bit isolated. Um, but yeah, I just didn't think they were sort of firing on all cylinders and I just expected a little bit more from, from that game. Talking on like the James and Care partnership, that will grow. That's only going to get oh, better massively. over time. But I guess when you've got someone like Sam Kerr and your 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 team, when you're having a poor um, game as a whole, 
you know that she's always there and she there's a high possibility she will pop up when needed and that's why she's in the squad she she doesn't need many chances herself where Arsenal did look frightening getting getting into the final third but I guess it comes down to mentality how relaxed they are in front of goal mm. they will be aware of the stats that that they carry now with being ahead in games and kind of dropping points where they shouldn't be so both sides mentality Chelsea have the the mentality of champions so when their backs are against it and they're not doing well you know that they're always in the game whereas Arsenal when they are ahead and things are going smoothly I think in the back of their heads they know that they can concede and mm. Leah has made the poor judgment but I think she's still recovering and trying to get back to her best would she have done that early on in the game probably not she probably wouldn't have misjudged that so that maybe comes down to a bit of tiredness late on in the game she's still getting back to full fitness I do think that's something that Arsenal have struggled with over the years um, under various different managers with different players is is finishing games and putting games to bed and they're not scoring as many goals as they were last season Um but it's, I just, I've felt this frustration before when you're watching an Arsenal and thinking, how have you not, how have you not scored that goal? How have you not put those, um, those games to bed when it really, really matters? And it's something they really do need to work on, particularly given they're missing their Miedema and their Meads. You know, um, I said this last week, they contributed to 66% of their goals last mm. season, whether that was scoring or assisting. So you can't really afford to be missing those chances because... I know we were going in there thinking Chelsea might pip it and we might look at that and say, okay, a draw is good for Arsenal. But actually, they will look back on that game and say that should have been three points. They they, they should be disappointed. They dropped an extra two points in that game and that was a big chance for them to to really um, you know back on and start, not they're not title contenders now, but to really put the pressure, like to ramp up the pressure with, with Chelsea. Um, I mean, obviously, I think maybe had Miedemar been there, would she have put the chances away that Hurtig should have? Potentially. Maybe. I thought Sajira Musevic had a really, really good game. She did, um, yeah. I mean, factor in, there were a number of chances that were hit straight at her, but her reactions were excellent. There was a really, really good save. It might have been off Catley or Volti where she had to tip it over the bar. Yep. You know, Hurtig put it in the side netting at one point. Like, there were a lot of clear-cut chances that really should have been goals. And and I think, you know, Zachira Musevic has definitely kept Chelsea in it too. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, Hurtig was right to look disappointed when she came off. I think it was around the 70, 75th minute or so for... Uh, it was McCabe, wasn't it, who came on? Um, but I didn't think she'd done enough. And I think um, the fact that she hadn't done enough was critical and key for them missing out on those additional points. So I think she will now be looking at herself, maybe not feeling as confident to start in the next few games. But I just want to touch now on the uh, on the penalty. I mean, what were your guys' thoughts? Because I've I've actually had some penalty education from, from Molly Hudson of the Times, which I really appreciate because my initial thoughts were it was outside the box and not a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty because... The the initial contact was outside the box, and yes, there's a tangle of legs across the line, but Ford was already going down, like her momentum. She was going down into the box as she came into the box. So while there was a tangling of legs in the box as well, I think she was already she was already coming down from the initial foul. So for me, it was outside the box. But I can also see like I, there was an angle where you were kind of behind the referee watching it full speed, and I can kind of understand without VAR how you see that as being in the box mm-hmm. do you know what I mean because it was like a there was a nudge and a tangle of legs it was like a, a combination of things but on the replay it should have been a free from outside the box well apparently according to Molly and I mean I, I should know this I haven't been a football player and also a goalkeeper and should be very much aware on the rules on penalties I wasn't um, apparently if the, the foul was committed the initial foul was committed outside of the box but because the foul continued into the box it's actually the point at which the foul stops and because the foul had happened and then um, Caitlin had 
um, tripped over Charles goes going into the box. Apparently, it was in fact a pen. So I think what would have happened, even if we did have VAR, is that the fact that it would have actually been a penalty. I wonder that because you could argue then if something like that happens on the sideline and they fall out of the pitch, does that mean it's not a free because they've carried on out of the pitch and they're no longer in play? So for me, it was it was the fact that Ford was already off balance outside the box. So like I was saying, if she'd stayed on her feet and then the leg entanglement and that's what took her down mm-hmm. in the box, I would fully agree because it's like advantage has been played, but the foul has now knocked her over. But for me, because she was already off balance and falling from the first free outside the box, that's why I don't think it should have been a pen. Oh, well, we could have to disagree, agree to disagree on this one. Happy yes. to. Not like us. Tell us, guys. You can tweet us and tell us whether um, what you think. And I think, like, like you were saying, I think the mentality, and I, I know you absolutely love the phrase, mentality, mentality monster, monster uh, from Chelsea. I mean, Lee, you touched on it there. You know, last 10 minutes of the game, Chelsea hadn't really been in the game at all. Last 10 minutes, decided to put their foot to the floor, um, you know, causing all kinds of problems, making, for the first time in the game, really, looking or making, I think, Arsenal seem very uncomfortable uh, in the press that they were given, delivering that ball in to, to Sam Kerr. I mean, how hard is it to kind of come in, like from your perspective, to have a game that's not going your way and then all of a sudden ramp it up in the last 10 minutes? I mean, there's got to be belief there, isn't there? There's sort of confidence of sorts. Yeah, I think that comes from just, it, it's within you. It's mm. a case of like the game is not over until the 90 minutes, whereas I think Arsenal knew they were under pressure. They were trying to ride it out at that point. I believe Chelsea brought in some subs and it did have an mm. impact but Chelsea know within themselves we are having a mare today but they know they look around them they're thinking we've got players in this um, on this pitch that can score so do not give up whereas mm. Arsenal are probably thinking get it to the 90 minutes get it to the 90 minutes because they are aware that who they who Chelsea's got and massively who, who can finish so it's so hard to maintain that mentality though when you know that you're not creating much and it's came from a ball into the box from nothing really. She's yeah. got a bit of space and she's floated it in the box and the goal was unbelievable. Yeah, I think Great you're completely goal. right though. I think it was that the subs did seem to change the fate of affairs. Um, I think, you know, Kirby coming on, Perisay, I think injecting that energy and I think giving them that additional belief that actually they could just about scrape a point from the game. But We also talked about Chelsea exploiting weaknesses and that will be something they would have identified pre-game mm. is that you know they conceded you know they were beating Man United 2-1 at home and they lost 3-2 like mm. that is a, a weakness in Arsenal is not putting games to bed and Chelsea would have identified that and they would have said even if we're 1-0 down or 2-0 down the game is not over um, and yeah they just they proved why they're winners but again we'll touch a little bit briefly on Manchester United thumping Liverpool 6-0 leapfrogging Arsenal to go into second place I mean Champions League football for them now seems to be uh, I wouldn't say certain I'm not going to say certain that's too bold for me and I don't do bold we've established um, that but I would say that they are definitely top contenders for that uh, Liverpool really lacking defensively giving them too much space it wasn't a particularly great game to watch apart from the fact that I like Manchester United and they won that game very comfortably. Listen, it's a good thing for goal difference because it could potentially come down to that. Not only are we tight at points with the top three, four, say, um, the top three are definitely close when it comes to goal difference. And, you know, we talk about Arsenal not putting the ball away. Manchester United certainly did that. And that's what's made them leapfrog Arsenal is the goal difference. So it all counts. All right. Well, my bold predictions are coming true. You heard it here first. Next up, uh, we've got to talk about Leicester battering Brighton this weekend. I mean, unexpected, I would say. But Rach, uh, well, Rachel's better half Sophie. Um, predicted she predicted this. it. She did. Um, 
She said she felt deja vu, like back when Bristol were in a similar position in the 2020-2021 season, came back in January, they bottomed the table, looked like set to go down, and they came back in Jan, and I think they played Brighton in their second match and beat them 3-0. And then they went on this incredible run of seven games and they took the title rate, the relegation battle right down to the last day. And she was like, I wonder, like, I feel like Leicester, this could be their chance. And Leicester come out and, and you know, batter Brighton 3-0. Um, they also obviously won a cup game and two friendlies previously. So kind of like their fourth run on the bounce and you could see that they played with some confidence and I think the the timing of their goals right before halftime, right after second half, um, right, sorry, right at the beginning of the second half, it gave them a cushion and we've not really seen Leicester play with a cushion this season and it was really nice to see. They played some really lovely football, um, really good attacking football. They, they didn't kind of sit back and they had to defend a bit in the first half. I thought Brighton started well, but you know, it was a really, really good performance from them and it was really nice to see them play with mm. that kind of freedom. I was surprised. I mean, I think you were talking to me, we were at the Palace game at the time and we sort of seeing the results come through and you said Leicester uh, were up 3-0 and I think the first thing I texted back was... Um, have Brighton bright down to seven players. Um, I just couldn't really understand what was happening. Uh, 14 shots from Leicester, three on target, three go in the back of the net, which to me is a 100% conversion rate, which is biz- a bizarre statistic to be associating with Leicester. But I think, um, obviously, they've been on such a bad run of form. Um, but I mean, Lee, we've been there. We've been there with Palace. We've had bad runs of form. I mean, it looked like maybe Willie Kirk has gone into the, the break, said, we need to cut our losses. Last half of the season was an absolute shit show. Um, but we need to really rejuvenate ourselves and think that 2023 is going to bring us some more luck and prosperity. So how, how hard is it? I think, you know, we've been there before to to try and get yourself out of a massive rut um, for you as a player. Like, how do you get yourself out of that? What are you saying to yourself? You know what? I'm going to like spin it. For me, all of the external pressure on Leicester has been removed now. Mm -hmm. So the focus is purely on them, the pressure from within the camp, within the club. But no one expects them to stay up now. Whereas before, everyone's talking, who's going to get relegated? How's Redden going to get on? How's Leicester going to get on? How's all these clubs? So now the outside noise has been removed because people write them off. And sometimes when you're written off, there's something quite sweet about waking up on a Sunday morning and think, X, Y, and Z, I've been reading, they've uh, wrote me off. So now it's all about me and my team. And they get to just go out and focus on the task in hand because there's no external pressure on them now. It's mm-hmm. about them proving to themselves and each other, we're going to get through this and we're going to have fun along along the way. You've seen how much they celebrated each goal. They looked like they were having so much fun out mm-hmm. there. And I bet them celebrations in that changing room were wild afterwards. And building on that, that league, that first league win, like, I do believe that now they're going to Tottenham next, I think, in the in the league. That's a big game for them. Um, and them in a place where they've got nothing more to lose anymore. The damage is done. Who knows? I think they can get at least a point out of it now with this mentality. But it's so difficult. You need everyone on board. No problems within the squads. You need to just go for it. Mm. Willie Kirk said, coming back after Christmas, it was like pre-season. He said it was like a new squad. They all came in with such positivity. Um and look, Brighton have a game in hand over them, right? Brighton are above them and set on seven points, but they they will both play their next games kind of at the same time. So Brighton won't be given the opportunity to get the game in hand back. So Brighton play Arsenal next and Leicester play Spurs next. And, you know, if Spurs win that game and Brighton lose to Arsenal, they're putting serious pressure on them and, and Reading. Um, it's Reading of seven points in 11 games. Brighton are on nine games and seven points and, and Leicester are on 10 games and three points. Leicester have a game in hand on Reading. Mm. 
Leicester win that game in hand, they're a point behind. So, you know, it, it, it seemed done and dusted. Seven points seemed like a long way to go, but suddenly four points doesn't seem that bad, does it? If I was Brighton, I would be thinking that was squeaky bum time. That could have been an opportunity for them. And to, Reading. Yeah. But yeah. Brighton have a tough run of games now coming up. Well, I think it's that. I mean, you know, at the start of the um, start show coming in, he said he wants to bring dis- defensive stability to the team due to it being 13 games since they've kept a clean sheet and they conceded 44 goals. Um, that wasn't the defensive stability that I think he had anticipated. And now I have to agree that obviously the relegation battle has widened. Uh, I still don't think Leicester are safe. I think they've... they've I think no, they've not been, at all. Very, very lucky for the past couple of seasons to avoid relegation. I think this could be um, third time's a charm for them. We might see them back in the championship again, but it's still early days and that's a great start for them. We could at least have a relegation battle rather than kind of it being decided in January. It's you. Yeah. Uh, we'll touch briefly also on uh, Spurs, Aston Villa. Um, Aston Villa walking away with the points 2-1 against Spurs. Uh, it, it was and it was an exciting game. I think mainly because of the uh, the new signings that were in that game. Obviously, we had Beth England starting for uh, Spurs, and then we had uh, Staniforth and Nobbs also with with Aston Villa. I don't think we really saw as much of Nobbs as we would have liked in that game. I don't think she was getting as much of the ball as as possible. Um, England again. I think for me, she looked a little bit isolated up top at times, uh, but fantastic for her on her debut. Obviously, getting that first goal, and actually, it looked like Spurs believed in themselves for all of about a minute, and then things didn't quite go to plan. Everyone thought that was kind of the old oh, 2023 Spurs are going to start doing this dramatic stuff and start actually scoring goals for once and then it just Well, they did score happen. a goal. Um, I, I think it's maybe naive to think things are going to turn around that quickly with a new signing. Um, I think it will take time for them to, to kind of figure that out and I'd, I'd really like them to get some of their injured players back. You know, I think it's really hard to judge Spurs when they've got such key players sitting on the bench um, but at the moment they just seem to be lacking any real kind of identity mm. um, whereas with Villa you can really see what they're trying to do and what Carla Ward is trying to build and it you know um, Staniforth and Nob seem to to fit right in and you look at the signing she's made this season you've got those two and then you've got Daly and Daly both of whom are on the score sheet so you know it's working and it's clicking and, and it's an example of a club that are, are getting it right and bringing in the right pieces whereas Spurs I think are still trying to put their puzzle together a little bit. Only one place separates these two in the table. Spurs are six points behind now. This is their fifth consecutive defeat. I mean, what do you think is kind of causing this run? I think they kind of looked at Beth England as being a a saviour of sorts, that she was going to come in and start. I mean, it again, early days. I can't say that she's not a saviour for them. Yeah, after. no, their biggest issues were they weren't scoring goals and there were some games they were dominating and not converting. Um, obviously, they're trying to address that with Beth England, but it's not like the damage is kind of done now and that they haven't been picking up the points against the teams they should be picking up points against. And I think that's really knocked them down the table a bit. Um, They're obviously going to have to play tougher teams in the run-up the rest of the season. So I think they're just going to have to focus on picking up points against the teams around them. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, every week in the third part of the show, we want to take the time to shine a light on topics off the pitch. In recent months, we've spoken about ACL and MCL injuries. And today we're exploring the issues around endometriosis, which is another massively important aspect of women's health. Just before the new year, Leah Williamson, who of course captained England at the Euros, revealed in an interview with Women's Health uh, that a flare up of endometriosis nearly ruined her chances of playing at the tournament at all. Um, and endometriosis is a chronic condition where tissue similar to the lining of the womb grows in other places, uh, which affects everyone differently, but usually causes pain in your lower tummy uh, or back and also causes uh, severe period pains as well. It's estimated that around one in 10 women suffer from it. Uh, Williamson has been incredibly open about her experiences, saying that she was diagnosed with it in 2021. And just before the Euros, she had a concussion, which made her next period even more severe. Uh, she said that she would be on her bathroom floor, unable to move. Um, we've obviously brought you into the, the pod, um, Lee. It's, it's fantastic to have you back, but we really wanted to get your experiences. I know it's something that is very close to your heart and something that you're you're currently going through. And we really appreciate you taking up your time and, and being able to be a, and, and to have an open, honest conversation with us about, you know, what, what you're going through, how the how it impacts you, what it means for you um, to get an in-depth understanding of, of what it's like to, to be with that condition. So I think um, starting off, really, I mean, it'd be great if you could just run us through sort of your, how you found out about it, how you come to, to have the diagnosis yourself and, and, and what's that, what, what that's meant. Yeah, so, well, firstly, it's amazing that, that people like Leah and Emma and you've got Beth, Beth in England as well who spoke about it. So it really helps people like me understand it more as a female sports person dealing with it because I've now got, people research and talk to and reach out to but I'd say about 18 months ago I started um, bleeding irregularly and abnormally uh, when I say bleeding I mean as in 
20 to 25 days um, per month. Uh, sometimes it was spot and then sometimes it would just be my normal period, but my normal period would be prolonged. You're looking at maybe 10 days in total of a heavy, heavy period. Um, but as a female, you just get on with it. Um, I think I knew at the back of my head something was up. I did think it was something a little bit more serious, so that's why I did avoid going to the doctors. I don't like to deal with things like that very well. Um, I had just also changed uh, my contraception, so I got the copper coil in. And that is non-hormonal. I thought I'd get it because my body doesn't cope to uh, cope with horm- hormones getting in my body. I've had terrible um, experiences in the past with um, the implant in my arm, the pill, and I just thought I don't want hormones in my body. So I did get the copper coil in, um, which isn't really recommended. So I just maybe thought that the, the bleeding came from that as well, um, which I think has played a part in it. But about um, summertime, I started having some hip problems in pre-season, um, bilateral as well, so two hip problems, the same thing, same places, both sides, which is it's not really common. So I managed to get back back from that, although it was a bit suspect that why have I got this going on. Um, I was back in training for a few weeks and suddenly just started having this awful back pain um, and it became daily and it became worse to the point we thought that potentially there was a, a fracture there or there was something going on with the nerves. Um, the physio was looking at it. He was like, there's no red flags. There's there's nothing structurally that I'm seeing as a problem. Um, so he sent me to the doctors to go and get some blood tests just to cancel out any health problems. I went to the doctors. When I went to collect my result, I had, I had booked to go in and collect my results so we can discuss the next steps, really, because I knew something was up. So if my blood tests were clear, I knew that I need to book an appointment at the same time so I can maybe talk about next steps. And... The doctor was fantastic. She had a good look at me. We spoke about um, everything that I'd been suffering with. So from random bleeding, back pain. Um, She had a feel around my tummy, found a lump. And I guess um, my best friend, Chloe Arthur, came with me. Don't know why, I thought she'd been dramatic. Um, And I'm so glad that she did because the words that then came out the doctor's mouth was, um, I'm going to have to put you in a cancer pathway. And I think it just wasn't something I was prepared for. And I left that, that room feeling like, oh 100% I've got cancer I was trying to process it I felt numb I was in shock I didn't know what to do the rest of of the day I was meant to be going back to work Um, it was my day off it was a Tuesday so I work all day on a Tuesday I had no idea what that meant I got back in my car and I was thinking so do I just need to carry on with my normal day what what does this mean what am I waiting on Um, so I think the initial stages of it was absolutely traumatizing and from that the club was fantastic, sent me for an immediate MRI on, on my back, my tummy, my, my pelvic area, just to, I guess, have a look to see if there's anything um, really sinister going on. So I was in the following morning for an MRI, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and within 48 hours, there was nothing that came up in the MRI that would suggest that there was anything cancerous. Um, however, that was still then waiting for the cancer pathway to give me a call, bring me in for tests. Um, so I would say that immediately I literally lost myself I I completely withdrawn from the world didn't want to talk to anyone um, had diagnosed myself with cancer like I think anyone that has been through that and I know that I spoke to yourself about it it's something that you're like well obviously I've got all the signs and symptoms and you're googling it and um, after weeks and several tests and going in uh, I sat with the consultant from the cancer pathway through the NHS and guess he's just said you're too young you're healthy you're not you've not got cancer and I thought you you can't just say those words I know I don't fit your 
your profile, but I know enough people that is suffering with cancer and if not lost their life, um, close to close to my heart, have lost their life because of this. And I remember just leaving feeling like, well, how can you guarantee that you've not done any testing? But fortunately enough, I got a phone call a few days later and they brought me in. Um, they just, I don't know where the change of heart came to, it came from, but they brought me in for further testing, um, which I'm really grateful for. And that did, I mean, it's like storytelling now, but I can't attach the emotions at that time. But I got the test three weeks later, I got the results. And luckily enough, so I'm so grateful that I didn't have cancer. So I guess anything that came fr- after that was not a problem. I could deal with it. Um and then when we sat down, we started to investigate it further um, with my club doctor. We then realised that they think that I'm suffering with endometriosis. I didn't understand that, didn't know what it meant. Then I started to read into it and it started to make a lot of sense. Um, the severe back pain um, to the point I genuinely thought I'd broke my back. I couldn't hoover, I couldn't put my, my washing in, in the washing machine. And at this point I hadn't trained for two months. And things were a little bit easier day to day because I wasn't pushing my body through force every single day. But it was still a struggle. Um, and then I started researching further. We sent me to, um, they sent me to see a gynecologist in Harley Street. Um, what we couldn't understand, though, with my case of endometriosis is why I couldn't train. Um, now, when I say couldn't train, I am able to do boxing at the minute. I'm able to do lighter weights in the gym. The same program as the girls, but a little bit lighter. Um, but I cannot do pitch-based sessions without bleeding as I'm training, just dropping out random blood or sudden back pain, or that evening or the following day, kind of being bedbound uh, with like a more of a dull ache in my back and a lack of movement. So that isn't really common with endometriosis. I think usually sufferers have a flare-up once a month and around a period, if not twice a month, where they'll, they'll suffer like that. But for me, it's pretty much every day, if not 80% of the time that I'm trying to train. So this is what was throwing us off. Um, we couldn't really work out why, because it's not, not common but when I went to see the gynecologist um, he explained to me that it is rare um, and it makes him think that maybe I'm not a sufferer of endometriosis but given that I had every other test done under the sun he said that the, the possibility of me suffering with endometriosis um, was there but more in particular that the endometriosis so the tissue is present in and around my nerve which means that every time I'm trying to train kind of lower body, changing direction, passing a football, opening up my legs. It's then triggering that nerve, which is then triggering every other symptom that I'm having. Whereas someone like Aaliyah or Bethany England are suffering specific times of the month. So it's really easy. It's much easier for a club to maybe manage with an individual. But with me in particular, because mine's is present in and around the nerve, any sort of force in and around my, my lower end of my body it is pretty much impossible for me to to train. If I do get through a training session, it's great, but I cannot train the next day after that. It's it's impossible. Wow, I like I can't imagine effectively having a period for the majority of the month, and then having what four or five days, maybe if you're lucky, where you're not suffering. Like I just can't even get my head around that. And the and for me, the fact that it athletes are still trying to figure this out you kind of think there's little hope for people who aren't athletes if we're not getting it right for you guys where your body needs to be working for you to do your job you know it just kind of highlights how little research is available and done in this area like I think there is an element in society where women are just expected to put up with 
painful periods. We're just told from a young age that that's what you're going to have and that's what you're going to deal with. And it means people like you then end up suffering far, far longer than they should because there's an expectation of it's just this. Just kind of get on with it. Just take some painkillers. Like that kind of just blows my mind, that story. Because really, you should be getting, as a, an athlete, the best treatment and being able to figure this, get this stuff figured out like as quickly as possible. So I can't even imagine how you've carried on. Yeah, I think um, on the bad periods, like that's a thing that I completely ignored as a symptom because bad periods are bad periods, right? Not at any point in my life have I ever sat down and discussed with my friend details about her periods. It's like, I'm on my period, I'm in pain. And that's... That's normal. You don't go into depth. What does yours feel like? What What's it like? But I didn't know that I'd missed a, a, a massive symptom and is how, how painful my periods really are. There's a difference in your average person's period and a sufferer of endometriosis periods. My periods were, they were so heavy for one. It was like someone standing on my ovaries mm. um, with football boots. It was sharp, it was stabbing. Every time it would it would make me jolt a little bit. And that went on and on and on for days. Um, Painkillers didn't really work. They would take an edge off it to a degree. But when that pain's there, it's there. It's, it's just about getting through it. Um, but I didn't realise that that was a, a, a symptom itself, that just one that you get on with. Because I think we, as a society, as women, we just get on with it. Because we talked about this beforehand, about the difference in the pain, right? Yeah. And like, like you say, you don't talk about that because you're just expected to put up with an element of pain. So when you have really, really painful periods, you it's just thought, oh, this is normal. And mm. we talked about like, for, for me anyway, it's more like someone squeezing your ovary really, really hard, that really, really dull ache across your stomach, up your back, down my legs, you know. You were talking about it being a sharp stabbing. Like that is entirely different to what you'd be expected to suffer with. And it just seems crazy for something that, you know, nearly 50% of the population deal with. We haven't got more, you know, like for you to think initially cancer rather than think, you know, medically thinking initially periods, ovaries, something to do with that. Instead, we go immediately, possibly cancer. And it's like it, that just highlights how little is, is known. But Lee, do you think, because um, obviously some of the symptoms that you're talking about now, these aren't things that I was even aware could be related to endometriosis. I mean, it wasn't until, um, you know, the exposure that came around Emma Hayes and obviously the emergency surgery that, that she went through that I really did even, you know, sort of started to look into endometriosis. And I'm 33 years old. Um, do you think a big part of the issues and sort of the delay in, in getting to the place that you are now with the understanding is that there's a sort of a lack of education. And I don't mean just necessarily with clubs and the FA and what they're teaching players about their own health and, and signs to look out for, but but also in the education system. Because I know for me, I mean, I'm obviously very old now, but back in the day, I mean, we were talking about this before that, you know, the education was very much, this is the reproductive system, that there, there wasn't anything on women's health and what to look out for and signs and symptoms. So yeah, was was endometriosis something that was even on your radar before it, it, was a, it was a problem that started to affect you? No, I, being honest, I think it's took me about three months to be able to pronounce the word correctly. <laughs> yeah, I've, try I've spelling never, it. Yeah, yeah, I've never ever heard of it. Um, but I think that's just society. There's loads of things that we don't hear uh, about until it's you suffering with it. But one hundred percent, this is not a football issue. This is not where I think sometimes people expect football to solve loads of things. We've got a platform, right? And by people like Leah, Emma, Bethany, myself speaking up, this will help people that maybe don't have the platform to understand what it is and to look out for signs and symptoms. But one hundred percent, this needs to be ha- this needs to be 
explained in schools. Like, there's so much about the education system in schools that we're not here for that purpose. But I think we need to know what your average period should be and anything out with that won't have a chat with, with your doctor about it. But then even our GPs don't know enough about endometriosis itself. There is not the funding there, resources or research available. We don't even know what causes this. So it's very much so current. Obviously, it's been about for years and years and years, but we are no further forward to understanding the causes of it and how to treat it without surgery, that it's not even just an education problem. It is GPs that aren't educated as much on this is, is what we would think and assume. The GPs don't have the answer. I think it takes between seven and eight years on average for your um, your average person to be diagnosed with this because, again, wow. it is hidden behind bad periods, um, getting tested for cancer, getting tested for everything else. People don't tend to put it down to endometriosis at all. And look, I, I get it. Like if it is something as serious as cancer, you want that ruled out as soon as possible, right? But to at least in your head be able to have the conversations about the other things it could be, for you it seemed almost like it's it's possibly this. And that was it. That was the, the kind of conversation. There was no, it could be X, Y, or Z. You know, and I just think it really does highlight that lack of research. And then it makes you wonder how can we address that in football? If as a wider society, we're struggling to to properly speak about this, speak about periods, understand what's normal, how can we address that in, in football? I mean, for me, I think I'm just sort of thinking, obviously still working with Palace and sort of doing some of the media stuff with, with the girls and still, you know, still being a part of the squad. I mean, what more can we do uh, as, you know, as employees of the club, um, and from a sort of commercial perspective to, to think about, well, these issues won't be addressed before. You know, we've got 16, 17, 18 year old girls up to, you know, think about 30 in our, in our squad who aren't aware of these issues, who aren't aware what to look out for. And there's not enough edu- education, there's not enough research on it. But I think it's even more difficult, I think, sometimes when you do have quite male orientated environments. We've got male coaches, we've got male managers. You might have male GMs and you're not, and the club doctor might be a man as well and you're not quite sure who to approach with these kind of issues. So I'm thinking maybe this is sort of an FA club perspective to bring people in at the start of every season because obviously players change hands at the start of the season. So I think you need to have that refresher training as well to say these are things to look out for. These are things that you should be coming to us with. We have an open, honest environment. Please you know, share any concerns that, that you have about your women's health issues because they are things that need to be really carefully managed. It's not a case of you burying your head in the sand, having these symptoms, and then we get to four or five months down the line, you're getting injuries, you're feeling unwell, you're lethargic, or even worse, we've not spotted something that's potentially more serious because you've not felt comfortable enough to do that. So, yeah, do you think it needs to be sort of more from the the clubs maybe? Is there, is there more that we can be doing? It's, it's triggering things in me to think, okay, we need to be more proactive about this problem. Or sport as a whole. And sport as a whole, yeah. Yeah, yeah I th- I, 100%. I think as a club... We are very much so learning on the job with this at, at Palace and with me. And they've been great because I, I've been diagnosed as, without going under the, I guess, the knife myself. I've been pretty much diagnosed within four months, which is so much quicker than your average person. So I cannot complain. And I'm so grateful that we'll, I've had the club there and I've had access to two gynecologists and to that funding available to get me to go and see them. But... I think it starts with our governing bodies, with the FA, sending people out at the start of the year to go and forget about maybe educating the players, educating the staff first. Mm-hmm. So 
having a, a, a meeting with the club doctors to be like, have you got open communication? Does players feel comfortable reporting at irregular periods? I know that at Palace, we, we've got a form we fill out every day. Are we bleeding? Are we not? Um, so there is that openness there. But it's then about how we approach that. And I know doctors don't really, they do it every day of their life, approaching difficult situations and um, difficult topics. But is the doctor there every day? Absolutely not. So who then deals with that? Um, away from that, is the physio comfortable with it? Is the medical department, um, like your SNCs, are they com- uh, comfortable talking to players about it? Um, but that comes from, I think, the FA sending people out to educate the staff first. Right? If you've got a player that's maybe suffering with p- uh, bad periods or maybe something a little bit more, are you comfortable talking to them about it, asking how they are? Because I think people just think women and blood and think, no, I need to avoid that. <laughs> um, but it's not actually it's, it's not actually that bad. It's We're not bleeding because it's dirty. It's not dirty. It's it's a natural procedure of the body. And it's actually, our bodies are wonderful things. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to change the, the mentality of that first. And I think in this day and age, as the game is professional now and you're looking for every advantage and all of those small percentages to make you a better athlete and to to get the best out of you as an athlete. It just seems wild that your period is not at the forefront. You know, we talk about what you put into your bodies, the your strength and conditioning, you know, your sleep pattern. Like every little thing contributes to you being a better athlete and ensuring that you're using your body to the best of its abilities. We touched on that in our ACL episode about all the different factors that can contribute to an injury. Your period is one of them, you know, and it's it affects you when you're lifting weights. It affects you when you're running, like knowing when to train certain things at certain times. It just makes so much sense. And, you know, not only is it good in terms of well-being to know how your players are, how they're feeling, but actually from a coach perspective, you are getting the best out of your squad if you're tracking things like that and knowing, you know, how to train for that particular player because then come match day, you can get the best out of your squad because you're aware of what's going on. Mm. I think now that you've got the the diagnosis, Lee, I mean, what does that look like in terms of your playing career at the moment and your thoughts about sort of the future of your your playing career? How What kind of thoughts are you kind of experiencing right, right now? I think before we go into that, I have forgot to say it, but... Um, what we have done now is we have changed my copper coil to mm-hmm. the marina coil. Now that should balance out in uh, the level of bleeding. It should be less bleeding, but that can take three to six months for us to see an effect on the bleeding side of things. Wow. Um, I obviously didn't want a marina coil initially because I hate hormones in my body and in my bloodstream. What I have found out since is the marina coil is a localised hormone that only works locally. It does not go into your bloodstream. So... I guess anyone that is listening to this and has maybe got the copper coil and have got heavy periods um, changing to the marina coil. I've seen that Bethany England had also um, had that impl- uh, implanted into her as well. So that's something that I'm now three months in. Periods are a little bit lighter. The pain's still the same, but I'll take anything at this stage. I think that's first and foremost as part of the procedure. We'll, we'll see, I guess, in, in a few more uh, months' time to see if that actually has a massive impact or not. But less blood means the world to me at the minute I think um but in terms of moving forward my current career what I want to do what my options are to do I have no idea I think at the minute where I'm at mentally is I struggled so much for three or four months I lost myself I withdrawn from everyone around myself I stopped spending time with my friends I just want to stay in bed 
all the time. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was. Um, I think after Christmas, being at home with my family over the Christmas uh, period, massive for me. Um, obviously, they live back in Scotland. I had time to just breathe, not wake up in the morning, have anything to do, just spend time with my loved ones. Coming into the new year, I thought, this is what it is. Let's just take it day by day. Let's go back to the basics in life. You can't train at the minute. Stop putting self pressure on yourself, worrying about what people think. Does people know that you're actually being serious with the pain you're in, what you're experiencing? Um, so now my, my attitude this week and last week has been much better towards it. Um, however, I'm still struggling. I don't know, as it stands, whether I can play football mm-hmm. again, depending on how long things take. Um I have no idea if I still want to because my experience of the last three or four months dealing with this and what my body's been through, I can't even remember what it feels like to kick a football. I can't remember the last time I kicked a football with a smile on my face because the discomfort I was in. And football's the one thing that I've always loved in life. It is my getaway um, and it's where I clear my head and it's where I'm at my best, my happiness. But I've not, I've, I'm not able to do that right now. Mm-hmm. And being able to see me play football again seems so far away at the minute so I'm trying not to worry about the future too much I'm very much so like what's next in my own investigative um, stages what's the next procedure but I don't know I I am struggling but I'm much better at as it stands and as we're chatting today and I'm having I'm having a good week um, one day at a time yeah but it's hard it's hard going into football every day and and not being able to do the one thing that you're being paid to do and you're Mm -hmm. there for Um, and I know that happens with long-term injuries but the difference with this is I currently don't really have a process Mm -hmm. at the minute and that's the thing that's driving me most insane. But I think um, even after all the sort of the difficulties that you've you've gone through in the past and obviously with the the health issues that that you've got now I think one thing about you Lee is that you always have a very positive can-do let's go forward attitude. Even if you're sort of like in a dark space for a bit, you know that you're always going to get yourself out of it because you're just so bloody resilient. Um, And that's one of the things I absolutely love about you. And I think um, it would be really helpful, I think, to hear about sort of the things that you found helpful in terms of coping mechanisms, you know, for people who are listening or people who are going through the same things or people in the women's football community and outside the just women generally, um, to kind of hear from you maybe about what you found most helpful in terms of trying to, you know, cope with what it is that you're you're going through. Yeah, I think um, I'm still trying to work that out myself. <laughs> but there is a, a couple of things that I've realised along the way. Stop trying to push through something. Stop it. Like, it was driving me insane trying to go back on the pitch and do a little, a little light one-to-one session. It was driving me mad. I was doing it not for myself. I was doing it because I feel like no one's telling me I can't do this at the minute because we were waiting. We didn't know it was around the nerve at that point. So listen to your body. No, the experts around you can only go off of your symptoms. So be honest and mm-hmm. don't don't doubt yourself. Like what you're feeling is what you're feeling, and that that's factual. So don't try and like keep pushing through things that you know your body isn't able to cope with. Second thing is, I know that nutrition um, can help you be able to cope with this in terms of levels of pain. Um, now it does not cure it, um, but it just be it's. It makes the pain a little bit more manageable. This is something that, again, we're very much so um, still working out for myself. But I know I worked out long before I even knew I had endometriosis that coffee doesn't sit well in my tummy. I Mm -hmm. knew that it caused levels of discomfort. And I thought, if I got IBS, 
um, because I love my coffee and it just started happening gradually. So I know myself, coffee makes me so tired, whereas it's meant to have the complete opposite effect. It makes me shattered. Mm-hmm. It does, it just, there's a level of discomfort in my tummy. So I'm starting to work out there's foods, even when I'm eating pasta, I feel tired after it. Um, it, it isn't having the right effects on my body. So as it stands, we're still very much so working out what foods I can and can't consume to make it more manageable um, in terms of the pain. But if you're suffering, um, it's something you need to look into is nutrition. I think just jumping onto that, I think um, uh, you know Beth Lowe, a player for the uh, Basingstoke uh, for Basingstoke Town, sorry, uh, wrote in the women's soccer coaching about her experiences uh, with endometriosis and said that she would avoid gluten, uh, processed food in the run up to match days, and, and that seemed to assist things. So, I mean, yeah, just on the back of what you were saying there, it seems like you know keeping track of your nutrition, food diaries, that kind of thing is um, sort of key to at least trying to reduce the symptoms if you can. A hundred percent. Like, look, my diet has always been of a normal person's diet. I love my food. I'm from Scotland. I love home <laughs> meals. I eat what I want to eat and I know that I have to work a little bit harder to make sure that I keep myself in shape because of that. So me changing my diet for this, this is a this is going to be difficult. <laughs> no more haggis and tatties, ma'am. No, and it's coming up <laughs> in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but no, so yeah, it is important that you keep a food diary. So what, what you've ate, that day how you felt after it and then how you feel the day after the experts will give you a kind of a level of understanding on it but they will not give you the specific answer you need to work this out yourself as my body coat okay I ate this mm, didn't feel good after that I felt tired food isn't meant to make you feel tired it's meant to take you to the next level to be able to crack on with your day or get through training so if it's having the opposite effect to you you know your body and then you go and be like you know what my body's not reacting to this what is the alternative that I could try that, that may have a better effect on me? So it's all you, you kind of need to be an absolute pro at life, whether you're an athlete or a normal person. You need to take full accountability for what you can do. That is your nutrition. That is keep my diary. That is working things out. We're, we're all very bright when we want to be. Keep a diary and work it out. You go off your feelings. That's no, You're not lying. You don't need to be an expert. Go off how you feel and how your body's responding. How does it feel to be speaking about this because obviously it's not something you're not through the other side of it yet right you're still kind of living this I'm going to be honest it's the first time that I've ever spoke about something whilst in the midst of something without having definitive answers and not at the end of it yet I'm new I used to like I usually speak about things when I'm over it and I'm great and I'm dandy um but it felt very very natural when Chloe had asked me to come on and speak about it I felt like yes like maybe people want to listen maybe this will help because I have been going insane none of my friends suffer with this no one I know suffers from this so for me if someone's listening thinking yeah I can relate to that right okay that's helpful maybe I do need to speak to x y and z whatever your profession profession is whether it's football or not um so it is it's I hope that it helps. In fact, I hope it doesn't help anyone because I hope that anyone listening to it isn't a sufferer. But it would be great if someone can listen to it and relate to it. But I guess I am doing it just to speak about my own experiences, what I'm currently feeling and thinking about it and hopefully help someone that may or may not be suffering from it. But basically the conversation needs to be had in Mm. the first place. We need to stop not talking about things because it involves periods and blood and ghetto things it needs to stop being such a taboo subject we need to normalize the conversation it's normal it's normal life 100 percent. i mean we don't have endometriosis that we know of thank god we're both very lucky but i do think both of us have massively learned Mm. from this conversation so absolutely we'll be helping people who are listening for sure yeah brilliant i mean thank you so much for, for opening up and being so honest about your own experiences especially as it's something that's 
obviously you're still going through as something you're still working out and processing. So, um, yeah, we'll have to have you back on when you're sort of a little bit later down the line to discuss how things are going and anything else that you've picked up. Because I think the information that you've given to, to both myself and Rachel and also to the listeners today has been absolutely invaluable. So thank you so much, Lee. I really appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. On that note, uh, thank you so much for all of you joining us today on Upfront. We'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, if you have any questions about today's show, please do tweet us uh, at Football Ramble. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. And Lee Nickel is helpfully at Lee Nickel. We'll see you next Tuesday. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.